Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you want more information on what we're doing, parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. So sometimes in our sermon team, we dive into topics that cause us to go off the rails. Never. Occasionally you guys bring up topics to try to make the meeting not get to your sermon. That has never happened. I'm trying to think of how to say that in a nice way. You guys try to derail the meeting so that your sermon, which may be slightly less complete than you'd like it to be, will not be covered in the, su- in the day that we're doing our work. Right, right. Hypothetically so, speaking. I, I think for context, you know, we go through these one at a time. And if you know that you're up number six or seven, that's that's no man's land as far as if you were going to have enough time Correct. to cover yours or not. So Correct. And where we're always pretty much a couple of months ahead of where we're heading sermon-wise, there there's always sort of a, a discussion about how far we're going to get. One of those discussions that can get us off the rails is some things dealing with biblical criticism or scholarship talking about things like authorship, for example. Right. So we thought we would do, since we're the resident scholars, <laughs> isn't that scary? <laughs> scary to think about. Pastor Alex and I are, uh-huh. are, I think we're the highest educated people on staff. Uh, does Graham's working on his MD. He's working he's, on it. But I'm saying there. we both have it finished. Are we the only ones? Yeah. Oh, and you're halfway through a demon. Yeah, demon. Wow. Demon is probably Do- the worst. Doctor of ministry. Probably the worst named degree of all time, and right? I'm like, getting a demon. And you're like, what? Demon. Oh, doctor of ministry. So since we are the resident scholars and oh, everyone boy. should be very afraid for that, yeah. let's, let's talk about who wrote the book of Mark. We're in the gospel of Mark. This one is a less controversial topic than maybe some other books might be, right? Mm-hmm. We're not talking second Peter here which is highly debated, right? Mm-hmm. Jude, there are some reformers that thought Jude shouldn't even be in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Which I don't agree with. So, or, or Hebrews where we're like, who wrote Hebrews? I don't even know. It, and no one will ever know. And in my very first Hebrews class with someone, they said, it's actually the least interesting question that comes out of Hebrews. And I was like, oh, you've caught me. You know, like that, <laughs> that question alone made me go, let's go. Let's, I want to dive, dive into this. So you have a really controversial <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not, it's not that controversial. <laughs> what is your very skeptical view of scholarship and authorship, this whole discussion? Yeah. Yeah. This came up in one of our podcasts a while back. Yeah. Yeah. Skeptical for sure. Uh, so so here's kind of the deal. There are uh, authors to books of scripture, and most of those have been accepted for you know thousands of years of church history, even pre-church history when we're looking at the Old Testament. Sure. Moses wrote the Pentateuch. Well, it became popular about, well, now about 70 years ago, maybe the 1950s-ish, that if you, if you wrote an article and you said, hey, Moses wrote the Pentateuch, everybody says, yeah, we know, that's fine, and you don't get published. But about sure. that time, scholarship, especially biblical scholarship, there, there is a push to get published because when you get published, you get notoriety. When you get notoriety, you get speaking opportunities when you get speaking opportunities you land uh jobs and books and that's just kind of how 
academia goes. So yep. the very skeptical view is right about the 1950s, pretty much every book of the Bible, its authorship got challenged. Yes. And all of a sudden there's all these new writings and new papers and people are like, wow, we've never, we've never even looked at this before. We've never even seen this evidence. And these people would come up with sometimes some even pretty convoluted stuff to say, well, did you know Paul didn't actually write any of the books in the New Testament? Did you know Luke could not have written this because of all this evidence that is very unconvincing? Um, but it just, it, because it became popular, because that's how you get published, there was just this wave of published articles. Yes. Uh, we're talking like academic journal articles challenging all the authorship. So with that being the case, you know, Chris, you and I are pretty traditional in who we think wrote these different books. So sometimes when I come across one of these like, oh, the Mark that you thought wrote the Bible didn't actually write the Bible, and here's 10 reasons why. I kind of end up rolling my eyes at this. Sure. Like, okay, there might be some evidence in here, and there might be some good thought points, but it's 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 probably going to fall into one of that one of those situations where somebody wanted to get published. So sure. they wrote something that's controversial. That's Alex's highly skeptical view. It is only controversial to scholars. Right. Most pastors think that. The reason why I wanted that to be brought up and why I wanted to spend a second talking about this is this. I've, I've always had students who go to college, sometimes Bible colleges, who meet a professor who maybe will share the JEDP. That, that's actually where we first brought this up. Yeah, with Exodus. that's right. Wow. It, it dealt with Pentateuch. And you, you talk about, did Moses write the Pentateuch or was it... We These call it, you four know, random dudes. The, or the source, right? The source yeah. critic, we call it. JEDP or some type of hybrid, which I have read some really helpful articles on some of that. Because f- frankly, we know Moses didn't write the passage that talks about his death. That's mm-hmm. not possible. Right. It's also likely that Moses did not say he was the most humble man of all time. And there hasn't been anyone as humble since that. If Moses wrote that, that's kind of dumb because at the time of Moses' life, he can be the most humble, and I think he was, but for him to say, and there hasn't been one till that, you know, since that time, you're talking about like since yesterday, Moses, like that doesn't make any sense. So clearly there's somebody writing way later on, and in my belief, writing with, for, leading by the Holy Spirit, adding a, a, a sentence in to show us what's, what is still being believed a thousand years later, right? Or mm-hmm. 500 years later. So there's, there's some element of wisdom for us to mess around with the idea of source. And part of why I'm bringing this up is we as pastors, when I've had a, a student come back to me and go, you, you led me astray. You told me Moses wrote this, and there's clearly no way Moses wrote this or that. First, that has caused me to be very careful with what I say about authorship about any book. So if you listen really closely in a sermon, I very rarely make claims that I can't back up by multiple things. And... Even when I make a claim that I can't back up by multiple things, I will say at the beginning of it, this is my opinion on this passage, or this is something that I believe about this. But I'm saying it because we are not unaware. I want people to know that. I, this, the, the critics that I've, I've had over the years are saying, well, there goes Chris, just another evangelical, traditional. He holds to authorship pretty basically like you do as well, right? We're right. pretty traditional in that. They don't know the truth. If they just knew the truth, they'd be fine. So I've had students go to a Catholic university yeah. and come back to me and be like, you don't understand. Moses didn't write any of that. You, you're off. I'm fully aware of what the theory is. It's a terrible theory. And I'm just as skeptical as you are. Uh, and so with that said, who wrote Mark? 
Yeah. So <laughs> this guy named John Mark, right? And that's it. There you go. Close the book. End of the podcast, folks. Two quick ones. Um, yeah. So there's this guy, John Mark. And what's interesting about him, you know, again, in, in my skeptical viewpoint, like that the authorship of John Mark has not really been challenged up until the 1950s. So, you know, almost 2000 years of church history. And sure. even in, in talking at, about Mark, even this book is very rarely challenged because it seems so obvious based on some things that we'll, we'll talk about that, totally. that it's John Mark. But what's interesting about John Mark is John Mark was not a disciple of Jesus. Right. Like he didn't follow Jesus around. Nope. And so where did he get his stuff from? It's a great question, which has led to some of the issues. And this is part of what we need to talk about. When you read Mark, you're, and you're all going to notice this as you read through it. Hopefully you're going to do this with your journal or, you know, or if you're reading it just with your, your Bible and you've got a little notebook set aside. If you haven't noticed yet, this one feels very much not put together, doesn't it? It, it feels like a bunch of random stories kind of all stacked together. Whereas Luke has a little more. And then after that happened, this is what happened. And Mark is just sort of, and then he was baptized. And then immediately he went. Yeah, yeah, the word immediately is used so many times. Yeah, euthus in in Greek. It's this. It's this very eclectic bunch of stories. Most scholars, the reason why they have trouble with with authorship in general is this feels just a bunch of loose bits of paper kind of thrown together. Sometimes we're going to bring that out as we preach it because you're going to notice there's some pretty interesting dynamics. I have no problem believing that John Mark is the one that pulled all this together. Because especially if it's as early as I think it is, which I think you're probably there yeah, too. Mark and priority. Yep. I think John. I think Mark is probably the earliest. John is probably the latest of the Gospels. I believe personally that Mark is being interacted with by Matthew and by Luke. Yep. Is that's my opinion? Because Luke's saying he's got all these these sources. There's no reason why John Mark wouldn't be one of those sources. Right. And then there's no reason why Matthew pulling a lot of Matthew's stories are very Markan in their literature but then they he just expands them and smooths them out a little bit right like a good jew would yeah and i think too something that as i was reading and preparing for this this particular podcast i think one thing that i just i know but i forget is that the gospels are not biographies of jesus Mm -hmm. and so you you have mark mark chapter eight is kind of the turning point of the gospel, right? That's that's um, Peter's, uh, you know, who do you say I am? You're the Christ. Right, right. And then pretty soon after that, we're into crucifixion story. So half of the book is really about a week yeah. of Jesus' life. Which is true of almost all the gospels. Right. For Luke, it's about 33%. For Matthew, it's a good, you know, 25%. John, it's half the book. And Mark, it's half the book. Yeah, like half the book. So you have... This like that, then that's kind of where this goes. Like, how, how do we end up with this story of Jesus that is half the book is just a bunch of random things that he did over the course of three years, right? And then the other half of the book is one week of his life, right? It makes you realize first how important that week is, and second, right. how many amazing things he was doing. Mark doesn't even have time in his mind to put all those things together. He's just grabbing all these stories. But what's genius about this and why I believe this is one author and not a bunch of scraps of paper sort of thrown together, which is what some scholars would suggest. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I completely disagree. If we're talking early stories about Jesus and specifically, we're going to propose this in a second, but I believe early stories about Jesus told by Peter for the most part, mm-hmm. if those stories are just sort of clip, 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 clip thrown together, 
they're all telling a story. If, if you're following the, the flow of Mark, there is a genius to it. There's, there's an art to it. It's not nearly as beautiful a Greek as Luke. It's not quite as put together as Matthew, but it's no less significant. Right. What's happening in Mark is, like I mentioned in the sermon, who's talking about him and what they say about him is very important. And then what Jesus shows himself to be the king over, over and over again, Mark is just loaded with it. And almost every one of the stories is, is touching base on one of those things, right? Right, right. And then as you read through and reading through a whole book or even chunks at a time, you know, take what Mark 16 chapters, so take four chapters for four days. Sure. To kind of see some of the arcing meta narrative to use a word like how many times in mark you see you know i'm, I'm working on my sermon for um a couple weeks out from when this podcast will right re- what we're referencing here but uh you see like jesus goes into the temple and he speaks or in the synagogue and speaks with great authority and everybody's like wow he's got a lot of authority and then somebody runs into the the synagogue and with possessed by an unclean spirit and it's like okay the authority is is being challenged immediately while this guy talks with a lot of authority what's he going to do when he's confronted with a situation where he has spiritual authority and then right after that he ends up at um peter's mother-in-law's house Mm -hmm. and heals her and so so you see like it is very clear mark is being intentional weaving these stories to say look jesus first he said he had authority then he demonstrated spiritual authority, and then he demonstrated physical body authority. Like, as we read the big, big picture, right. it's sometimes we miss. You know, it's um, what is it? John that does this really well with the woman at the well and the mm-hmm. centurion and Nicodemus. Yeah, Nicodemus, mm-hmm. a Jew. Mm-hmm. Right after that story, you get the woman at the yep. well, who's kind of the half Jew Samaritan. Yep. Right after that story, yep. you get this the centurion. You see Jesus. John is trying to clearly say, you know, look, Jesus is for the Jews the half Jews and the non-Jews Yep. like we're, we're tying these things together. So Mark again, does that really well to say, Hey, th- there's a theme I'm trying to develop. I didn't just like throw a bunch of stories together. Totally. And there's location changes. It, and it's not, again, it's not as smooth as Luke or Matthew, but there's, there's so much going on in Mark. We're going to draw as much of this out as we possibly can, both through sermons and through podcast and your journal. I would really recommend even going back and listening to these Mark podcasts again, with your journal next to you, maybe looking through the parts of Mark that we're talking about and writing little notes in the, you're going to love it. You're going to, you're going to feel like, you know, this book better than other gospels we've done before because we weren't making the podcast at the time that we did John or Luke. So I mentioned John Mark and this Peter connection. Yeah. You threw Peter in there. Why? Right. What's going on? So let me read this in, in Acts 13. And this is a story we preached in Acts but I don't know that we all make these connections. And so we're always going to try to pull these back, right? I mean, Alex just mentioned earlier, one of our early Exodus podcasts talked about authorship. So we pulled that back up here. Acts 13, verse 13. Now, Paul and his companions, which they're right, the, right off the bat, Paul has just been commissioned, Paul and Barnabas, to leave their church in Antioch to go on the very first of these types of missionary journeys. It wasn't the first missionary sent out by the church, but this type of missionary journey did never, it had never happened before. And it, it sort of sets the course for what missionary journeys will look like in the future. So Paul, right. well, to, yeah, sorry. to correct me if I'm wrong, because the Jews didn't send missionaries because they didn't see their, their message as for the nations. Right. Right. 
But Antioch was reached by one of the disciples because that's already starting to happen. Right. So you're, what you're saying is totally right. The Jews didn't see themselves as me- needing to do missionary work in the world. They just went and built a synagogue in a city and said, all the Jews come to this place. This is where you're going to worship together. Right. What Paul's going to do is go into the synagogues and actually reach them and try to push the Jews to go out. And if they don't listen, he's going to then go to you know the public square and do that sort of thing. So now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, this John right here is John Mark, and he is the cousin of Barnabas. He is way too young at this point to have been a disciple of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, Paul is already 14 years into his journey with Jesus, which didn't start until a couple of years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Yeah. So we're talking here possibly 16, 17 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and John Mark is described in other places as a very young man, which would be well under 30, most likely under the 20 range. Right. And so he might his, his life may have overlapped Jesus, but he was not a disciple of Jesus. Correct. Even, even using that term broader than the 12 disciples, exactly. right? Jesus had the 72. He had many people following him. Right. There's 120 in the upper room in Acts 1. So we, we know there's more disciples than just the 12. Right. But in the middle of that, there's no way that John Mark is young enough or old enough, I'm sorry, to, to be a disciple of Jesus at the time of Jesus's ministry. Right. He might've been three, <laughs> Yeah. but he's probably not running around the countryside watching this guy do miracles. Where, where was John Mark from? He's Jewish. That's a great question that I will look up while I keep reading. Uh, I, I don't know that I know that offhand, and I don't know that I've ever seen it, but we'll find it. Okay. We'll, we'll look it up. So John left them. John Mark left them and went returned to Jerusalem, which I think is where he's actually from, but I don't want to just say that offhanded here. I think, if I remember correctly, and I'll find it, is that he's actually a, a part of the priestly guild and connected to Barnabas that way. And they think Barnabas might've been a cousin of like James and John brothers of Zebedee. Okay. Cause John remember has access to the courtyard for the high priest with Peter. Yeah. Okay. You're talking not John Mark, the disciple yeah. of John. No, no, no. So there's some kind of strange connection there. Uh, yeah. Cousin of Barnabas, missionary companion of Paul and Barnabas. This is from the, the Lexham Bible dictionary. It does not say, we don't, we don't know where he's from. It doesn't say. Um, it doesn't say, but I know he has some kind of connection to Cyprus because that's going to come up here in a second. So I don't know if his family's from Cyprus and he's living in Jerusalem or something. You know, I've read so many things about him, but I don't know that I've ever seen definitive proof as to where he's from, but I'll keep reading too. So here's what it says. So John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from to from Perga and went to Antioch and, and uh, Pisidia. So the discussion that's starting to go on is why did John Mark leave? And I think I'm going to make a really, you know, I'm not going to go deep into the text here, but I'll I'll say the best case that I've heard is that when Paul begins to preach the gospel to the Jew and the Gentile, John Mark as a good Jewish boy flips out a little bit and goes home Mm -hmm. and he goes back to Jerusalem and he hooks up with none other than the, the leader of the Jerusalem church. That's Peter. Simon Peter, right? Yeah. And he and he's the leader of the Jerusalem church because why wouldn't he be? Simon Peter is the rock upon which the church is going to be built. I mean, he is the one who's confessed Christ first. He's got all these amazing connections to the, the Jesus story. And with him being such an important part of the church, I imagine John Mark going back to 
to Peter going, you won't believe what Paul's doing out there. And then I sort of imagine Peter going, no, that's exactly what we commissioned him to do. Right. This is what Paul's supposed to do. And he sort of sets John Mark straight and gives John Mark a chance to sort of figure it out, which happens. I'm going to skip forward in the story just a little bit, and then we'll come back to this John Mark connection. Uh, after the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, so we're a couple of years you know, later, after the first missionary journey is over, Paul and Barnabas come back. In end of chapter 15, verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and the one who hadn't gone with them to the work. There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from one another. Barnabas then took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. So now the, the Paul-Barnabas connection is broken up in this moment, and John Mark is the center of that whole thing. Mm-hmm. So that same John Mark is the guy who's now attributed to authorship of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Yeah. That's interesting. So not only is, back to what you said, not only is he not a disciple of Jesus, he doesn't have the best reputation fairly early in the book of Acts. Yeah. But yet he's a gospel writer. Yeah. Yeah, right, because... I mean, you can see, I've, I've heard this, this passage preached many times about, you know, when to say no and when to like, mm-hmm. you know, God's mission and, and split up and, you know, whether this is prescriptive or descriptive, right? I don't know that right. we're looking at necessarily a prescription on how to deal with conflict. Like you go one way and I go, right. I go my way. But either way, they're arguing about John Mark. Yes. So now we go to 1 Peter 5.13. Listen to this. She, I'm going to skip the first part because it's, it's kind of weird. I don't want to have to describe it right now. That'll come on a way later podcast if we ever do 1 Peter, which. <laughs> you're, you're at 1 Peter what? 5? Five? 5. Verse 13. The end of it says this. Sends you greetings and so does Mark, my son. Peter calls John Mark his son, which clearly is the faith. This isn't Peter's actual son. This is the, this is a faithful son. Sort of like what Peter calls Timothy, right? right. Timothy, you're my son. He's so what, what Paul calls Timothy. What yeah, sorry. What Paul calls Timothy is my son. In the similar way Peter is calling John Mark my son. So church tradition identifies John Mark as the author of the second gospel. Most scholars that I've ever read who talk about John Mark The reason why John Mark's gospel is accepted in the early church and why it's so important is it's Peter's gospel. Right. It's John Mark's hanging out with Peter in Jerusalem and Peter is giving him the things to say. It's also possible at this point in history that Peter can't read and write. Right. I mean, he's a, a fisherman. It's maybe possible, not at this point in history, but at all that Peter wasn't much of a reader, writer. Correct. Type of guy. Correct. So if that's the case, you can imagine John Mark, if he is one of the priestly people, right? If he's got some kind of connection to a priestly guild, he probably knew how to read and write. He's sitting here listening to Peter tell the stories of Jesus, and he's going, we got to put this together. And he begins to compile the stories in the way that he feels is best. He maybe, I could, you know, some of this is speculation here. I can imagine him handing this this document to Peter going, what do you think? Peter going, we got to get this out. You know, right. we got to send this out to the world. And then when they do so, I can imagine that sparking interest in a Matthew and Luke saying, Mark, I love what you've done. 
I'm a better Greek writer. Why don't I do the best version of it? Right. And, and Luke finds Mary who's still alive and does a ton of material with Mary, which is why Luke has so much Mary material in it. To me, that's the most plausible explanation. And it's, it makes me very skeptical of anything outside of that because I'm going, this just makes a ton of sense that the early church as it's forming, God is giving people to do certain gifts and, and use their gifts and abilities in certain ways to bless the church. And this disagreement with Paul and Barnabas about John Mark, you know, when John Mark goes back to Jerusalem and starts hanging out with Peter and later Peter calls him my son, Peter's saying, here's what Jesus did in our presence, which also, if you read the gospel of Mark, and this is one of the things we're going to talk about halfway through the book, Mark spends a ton of time talking about Gentiles and how much they need the gospel of Jesus. So if his original issue in Acts 13 is he doesn't like the way the gospel is being preached by Paul, he gets it right eventually. Something changes in his heart. And I think that's probably the most logical explanation for all of this, these things. So then we get to the spot where we go, okay, John Mark has it figured out now. He's writing the gospel. He's using all these amazing stories, which we're going to see in Acts 5, 6, 7, 8, right before Peter says, you are the Christ. Jesus is in really dangerous enemy territory for a number of those chapters, Gentile territory, doing amazing things. And I think those are the moments for Peter that most impacted Peter's heart saying, oh, he's not here just for the Jews. Mm -hmm. There's something more going on. And so John Mark writes this thing and then it gets out there and then Matthew writes his and Luke writes his, in my opinion. And then later on, John says, here's my version. It's a little different than the others because I'm weird and I'm seeing strange things on the (laughs) island of Patmos. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think that, I think that helps us understand like these things were not written down while Jesus was alive. Jesus did not write any of the gospels of about himself. Right. Right. And I think there was a mindset among the disciples that when Jesus, when they see all these crazy things, like imagine you see Jesus die and then raised to life again. Mm -hmm. And then he says, Hey, I'm coming back. Like, you don't know when that's going to happen. So you could, you could, I would totally not fault the disciples for thinking like, all right, is it going to be a week, two, maybe three. Right. And so, they kind of hang out in Jerusalem a little while until the Holy Spirit descends on them on the day of Pentecost. And then I think they kind of get the idea like, oh. We're supposed to really go out there. Yeah, we're supposed to go out there. So then they start going out there to spread this message that's recent. Well, now it's 20, 30, maybe even 40 years. And they're thinking like, oh, we're supposed to spread this message beyond our lifetime. Yeah. Let's write these things these things down. Sure. And But it, it's crazy that, you know, you've got Mark recording a lot of Peter's memories and what Peter's is giving to him. There's some really vivid descriptions Very. in the book of Mark. Like what is, what is the passage where he says like, you know, the, the grass was green or the green grass or mm-hmm. whatever, like, mm-hmm. the, you know, just very vivid, real descriptions. Something a fisherman would notice. Right. That nobody else would. Right. Yep. And that's, and that's what we get in the book of Mark. There's that. And I, my, my, sort of my clincher has always been when I discuss this with scholar friends, cause I do have some of those, they mock me for my simplicity and my, you know, my easy way of being skeptical of, of scholarship. One of the things that I find interesting is Mark reads like what I would expect Peter to talk like. Peter seems a little bit not 
some people have called him impulsive. I don't think he's impulsive. I just think Peter's so mission driven that he's constantly just moving on to the next thing. And when I read Mark and you got these little bits of stories and then you got immediately over and over and over again, to me, that sounds very much like a guy who feels compelled to make sure the world knows what this guy did. Yeah. You can see the passion like, oh, and then this happened and then this happened and then, and then you wouldn't believe this happened where, you know, you get a very different feel from Luke who's like, we're going to sit down. We're going to take our time. We're going to, you know, it's, it's that, that meme even that you've seen of, of the gospel writers like, Luke, let me give you a great history of his birth so you know that he's descended from David. And, right. and Matthew, let me, you know, I don't know, I can't remember. Let me, oh, to prove to you that he's related to Joseph, so he's the king right. of the Jews. John, right. let me start at the beginning of the world. And then the, the Mark one is the, uh, the guy from Mulan that says, you know, let's get down to business. It's like, <laughs> nope, we're starting. Like, here's the gospel. And there was John, and he was baptizing, and Jesus showed up, you know, it's... Yeah. And if you felt like uh, that, that first sermon of Mark, if you felt as if, holy cow, we just jumped right into the gospel. There's nothing about the birth narrative. There's nothing else. Yep. Mark just got right down to it. Like you just said, let's get down to business. Let's just move right into it. Something Peter, I think, would have done. Just let's go. Let's talk about how this works. Let's, let's make this happen. And it's interesting, too, that most of the stories in Mark are so intimate this is where we have the first account of the three being pulled aside by Jesus to do various things. How else do you get that unless you're an eyewitness? Yeah. Yeah. So all that to say, I'm pretty sure it's John Mark. I, I'm I'm 99.9% sure, as are you. Yeah. Ish. We're traditionalists. Go catch up with John Mark and Evan. Yeah. Go and ask him. Go ask him the questions. Yeah.